I, I just find I made so many mistakes to begin with. I had no boundaries. I had no work-life balance. I would always let my clients be the boss. And the whole idea of being freelance is that you are your own boss and that's the brilliance of it. So mm. um, when freelance life works really well, it just can be fantastic because you can have that freedom and you can have that f flexibility and you have the opportunity to only take on the work that is going to light you up and inspire you and therefore you do your best work. Hello and welcome to the Good Journeys with Second Mountain podcast. This is the show that shines a spotlight on inspiring people and their inspired stories. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. You can join in with us on social media using the hashtag Good Journeys pod. You can also find each and every episode in full over at our YouTube channel via the Good Journeys pod hashtag. I'm your host, Ben Veal, the founder of Second Mountain Comms, helping good people do good. And joining me on today's show is my special guest, author, speaker and copywriter, Sarah Townsend. For the past two decades and counting, Sarah has worked as a highly successful freelance copywriter, helping companies with their marketing through the use of persuasive, powerful, clear and concise copy. As a lifelong lover of language and of the written word, Sarah has over 30 years experience in marketing and publishing and over 200 recommendations to her name from business owners and marketing managers alike. Working with ambitious startups, global corporations, and everyone in between, Sarah believes that great copy marks the beginning of great relationships. She's now the author of two best-selling books, The Little Book of Confusables and The Survival Skills for Freelancers, the latter of which has already helped thousands of freelancers worldwide to grow in confidence and develop a mindset for success. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm really good. I'm kind of reeling from the swankiness of that intro. It's very, uh, very impressive. <laughs> well, these intros are very easy to to write and pull together when you've got a guest that's that's done so much. And um, <laughs> you know, you and I have spoken separately, and I've I've really, really enjoyed the survival skills for freelancers book in particular. As someone who set up their company a couple of years ago, felt like they didn't really know what they were doing, and has made it up as they've they've gone along. Um, this is the book that I wish I'd had you know, back in 2020 when I was just starting out. That's um, what everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd had this when I first started out. <laughs> Absolutely. So so I'd I'd love to I'd love to kind of kick off there with with exploring your your passion for freelancing. So so what is it, Sarah, that makes freelance life so exciting and appealing to you? Um so I think it wasn't so much having a passion for freelancing. I think it was kind of more um, wanting to be realistic with people about some of the challenges of freelance life, because it can be amazing. But for so many people, it really isn't that great because yeah. we all go into freelance life with this idea of the um, the freedom and the flexibility, don't we? So that's kind of what draws us to freelance life. In many cases, certainly in my case, I became a parent and I wanted to find a job that would enable me to do the thing that I loved, which was the writing and the editing, sure. but also to do that around having my daughter. Freelancing seemed like a really good opportunity to do that. So I first went freelance back in 1999 and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Not a clue. I didn't even know anybody who was freelance. Um, so I didn't have anybody I could talk to. There was no social media back then. So yeah. we had we didn't have the joys of LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter to kind of source other people's opinions on things. I had no idea what I was doing. So by the time I got to 2020, and this was actually before COVID hit, I got the idea of writing this book. And I just thought I would share some of the mistakes that I had made so that other people could kind of shortcut their own journey to success. Because it was only kind of after about 15, 20 years that I started to feel like I was actually pretty good at freelancing. Okay. Um, and I, I I just find I made so many mistakes to begin with. I had no boundaries. I had no work-life balance. I would always let my clients be the boss. And the whole idea of being freelance is that you are your own boss and that's the brilliance of it. So mm. Um, when freelance life works really well, um, it, it just can be fantastic because you can have that freedom and you can have that f flexibility and you have the opportunity to only take on the work that 
is going to light you up and inspire you and therefore you do your best work. So that was a very long answer to a very short question. But yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the passion behind it. Well, well, long answers to short questions is what this is all about, really. Um, <laughs> one thing that I, you know, really jumped out at me actually as a, as a mistake I've made certainly in freelance life, and I'm I'm working around now is you talk in a book about swapping one boss, as in leaving employed life for lots yeah. and lots of little bosses. Um, yeah. What what do you mean by that, and and how how does one avoid getting caught in that trap? So like I say, when when you go freelance, you are effectively your own boss. But what happens is that quite often we are so desperate for work to come in to begin with that we just say yes to everything. So we say yes to work, whether it's a good fit with our skill set, our experience, our um, availability even. We'll say yes when we're already fully booked because we're sort of desperate to, to build our reputation and to get... Um, to get our name out there and to to get the income ultimately. And what we quite often do is because we're so keen on saying yes, we don't really think about our own boundaries and what actually works for us. And it's really important to keep that in mind because the idea of being your own boss is that you are working on your terms. and. Sure, sure. That's not a negative for your clients. It's actually a positive because when you know what works for you, when you're doing your best work, when you are your most inspired, we don't go freelance to work nine to five. We come out of the nine to five. We can work whatever hours we want. You could start at 6 a.m. and finish at two every day. You could just work mornings. You could just do four days a week, which is what I do. I don't work Fridays. Um, and ultimately, your clients don't mind what hours you're working or what the details are behind the scenes. They just need to know that they can trust and rely on you to get the job done on time and within budget. So it's more helpful for your clients if you can be super clear with them about how you work and just make their life easier by sort of saying, OK, so when we work together, this is what will happen. This is what you can expect. And by actually saying to them. So, for example, one one really specific example is I use an autoresponder, not just for holidays, but every single day of my freelance life. So it will say something like, thanks for getting in touch. Um, I check my emails just a couple of times a day so I can focus on writing hardworking copy for my clients. I'll get back to you soon. So that might sound inconvenient to your client, but actually what it's doing is it's giving them reassurance that you've received their message it hasn't gone to junk that you'll get back to them later it's telling them that you prioritize active clients and that they can expect the same service when you're working for them Mm -hmm. so it sends this kind of secret signal that you're not somebody who's just going to get distracted left right and center every time a message comes in every time a notification or a little pop-up on your phone you're not going to get pulled off task you're going to be doing your best work for them so that's the kind of thing i'm talking about when i'm talking about setting boundaries and making it work for you because if you can tell your clients that this is the way you work that's going to make their life easier. They know that they don't need to keep checking in to see how you're doing. You get less micromanagement, more hands-off clients who are happy to trust you and really relate to you on the same sort of basis. So rather than they're the client up here and you're the lowly supplier down here and they're mm. telling you what to do, which is very much a kind of traditional employed model, mm-hmm you're actually working together on a partnership basis. There's mutual trust and mutual respect. And that's the way for a happy freelance life. And have you found that that's become easier as the years have gone on? Like, do you feel that you're now at a point where you've kind of got this nailed, but it took a while to to get there? It took ages to get there. I, I had no idea that I could just tell other people that this was the way I worked. And I found that my clients are actually far happier to just let me get on with the work as a result of knowing so if you can be really clear at the start when you're sort of setting your terms out um and and you're kind of giving them an idea of exactly how it works to work with you how does it feel to work with me what's it like going through a project working with a professional copywriter because a lot of people who come to me have never worked with a copywriter before they have no idea what to expect it's up to me to give them that clarity of this is how it works it's really easy it's really straightforward 
these are the touch points. This is when you send the, the draft to me or the background information. This is when you can expect to receive a first draft. When you receive the first draft, this is what happens. That's actually making their life easier. If you put yourself in the position of a client, you're working with a new business. Say for me, I need to get a battery fitted on my solar panels. I have no idea how that works. I would want the business to come back to me and say, okay, so you pay us 50% deposit. We will then book in a date for the installation. This is going to take this long. This is what you can expect. I feel reassured. Mm. It's managing your client's expectations. It's It's interesting because I came from, you know, 15 plus years of nine to five Mm. and moving into freelance life has taken me probably two, two and a half years to really start to understand what you're talking about here now. Okay. That's excellent. excellent It took me like 12. (laughs) Well, I'm getting there. Books like yours have helped, but, but it's kind of understanding having conversations with other people about how they work and how they set those boundaries, Mm. because I'm so used from being an account director within a busy PR agency to always being available, always being on, having my mobile available at nine o'clock at night, being available at weekends. It's just part and parcel of that. And when I made the decision to go freelance, it was doing away with that kind of life and saying, I'm not going to be available. Um, We were talking off air before, before we came on today about both having a long Christmas break. I haven't had a a long Christmas break in 15 years where I've completely switched off and disconnected from emails and social media. And it was wonderful. And it's so Um, good for you, isn't it? It's so good. It's not us being lazy or, or it's, it's good because it restores your productivity, your focus, your creativity. It's like recharging your batteries. It's such an important thing. And of course there are freelancers out there who still do do the, Oh, my phone's always on at weekends. You can always get hold of me, whatever time of day. That's fine if that works for you. But I found that I was very close to burnout when Mm. I did that. I had my marriage broke up and I'm not saying the fact that it was to do with the fact that I had no boundaries, but it absolutely did not help. I had two small children, marriage on the rocks, trying to say yes to everybody and it just doesn't work. I couldn't do my best work. You're always you're always kind of struggling with this. Having too much to do just means that nobody gets the best of you in your personal life and your 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 working professional life so it took me so many years Ben I mean like two and a half years for me feels like nothing because it took me so long to to have those realizations and a lot of it came from actually when social media evolved and starting to connect with other freelancers and realizing that there were other ways of doing things so that's partly why I wrote the book because I didn't want other people to make those mistakes I don't want other people to have failing relationships and and difficulties and and low mental health and and low physical health it's it's not a nice way to be that is not what freelance life is about freelance life is is supposed to be awesome we just sometimes need to find the way to deal with the challenges so that we know how to tackle those things when they arise and they will arise. They always do. So, yeah, it's really interesting because I think one of the things for freelance life is that this idea of success is very subjective and very different to everyone. So this really jumped out at me in, in, in your book, you talk quite a lot about what it means to be successful, both in business, but also in life. Um, You talk specifically about the idea of adopting a mindset to achieve your definition of success, but without Mm -hmm. neglecting your own well-being and your mental health. Yeah. So so 20 years into this game, what does what does success mean to you, Sarah? Gosh. Okay. so um, I kind of think that to begin with, I was defining success in traditional terms as in was I making enough money was I uh, was my income increasing every year and yes it was that's great but as I said already I didn't have the balance or the boundaries and my mental and physical health were suffering as a result so for me now it's about earning more than I need so that I'm financially comfortable I can have multiple holidays I'm not concerned about taking off six weeks eight weeks a year I can work four days a week and have Fridays to meet up with friends and do some of the other things that I love doing. And then that means that the four days a week, I am saying yes to the right work, the work that brings joy to my life, the work that fulfills me and inspires me. I get to work with great people who are quite like-minded and it feels as if I'm just working with friends. It feels as if I'm working with people who I really admire, I trust, I respect, I enjoy their company. 
they find working with me fun. It's it's all those good things that kind of feed into one another. So yes, I have a lovely car and that is probably my my one luxury that comes through my business. I have a really good pension. I prioritize that from the start, probably because when I was 19, I was working in financial services. So <laughs> I couldn't, I, I kind of uh, started believing the hype. I was writing, my first marketing job was writing kind of cost of delay and m- mortality statistics, sales aids oh, okay. for our sales advisors. So just, I, I started to kind of drink the Kool-Aid and I've got all the financial stuff sort of sorted. And obviously that is is so important as well for freelancers because you need to take care of your own finances nobody else is going to do it for you nobody else really does it when you're employed do they but the benefits are greater so you have to make sure that you have those um financial priorities in line make sure you've got savings that's a really important thing because you never know the peaks and troughs are inevitable Mm. um it's probably only after about 15 years that those really went away for me but yeah, always kind of be on top of your marketing, always be on top of your pipeline, make sure that you don't get sort of sucked into this. Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I've got no time to market to market my business. I've got no time to show up on social media. Those things within reason, obviously you're not going to have too much time to, to focus on those things, but it's important to put time aside, I realise I've gone massively mm. off tangent. No, but... it's, it's, it's interesting because I was going to ask about social media. I mean, you are, okay. you know, you are, if you don't mind me saying, you are all over social media. You're a bit of a <laughs> bit of a social guru. But but how are you, you know, how do you discipline that? You've talked a lot about balancing your emails, but how, how are you balancing your, you know, social media and promotional time? First off, I'm not a guru of anything. I would never use that word, but I am pretty experienced, I suppose. So yeah, I know what you mean about being all over social media. I love LinkedIn. I think if if anybody listening to this podcast can only do one um, social media platform because that's all they can manage, I would 100% make it LinkedIn. It's not, if you're not especially a power user of LinkedIn right now, it's not what you expect. I think people mm. have this expectation that it's just, um, we're delighted to announce that we have been awarded such a such it's not like that now um sure there are people out there who still do these kinds of posts if you get posts from people that are just me 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 and really uninspiring just just hide their posts you don't need to unfollow people but i think with um all the social media platforms you get the experience that you curate for yourself so curate and create um by following the right people a lot of people are incredibly down on twitter i mean let's just like let's pretend the last six weeks in twitter haven't happened but Mm. people are, are down on how political it is or how there's so much negativity i've never experienced that i've created lists for the people whose tweets I want to see because I find them inspiring and motivating and <laughs> thought-provoking, they challenge me, um, but not in a negative way. So how do I manage my time on social media? Mm, that's probably my weak spot because I love it so much. I am not as good at managing the time I spend on there as I should be. I don't have a content plan. <laughs> social media marketers um, and managers would be would be horrified I don't schedule my content I do on Twitter have kind of a funnel of regular tweets that go around every so often but I supplement that with with just me really Mm. I am my business so I I don't I very strongly believe that you shouldn't have a business persona and the real you Mm -hmm. It, it should be merged um it's really important because if you have this business persona and then your clients get to know you, I mean, there's this kind of sense of, of uh, like a discombobulation because they're mm. not, they're not sure who they're getting. And I- I'm saying that from experience because the first, however many years I was working for myself, I felt that I had to be a certain way. I had to dress a certain way. I had to speak a certain way, even had to write a certain way. And, and a lot of my clients, I, I do copy coaching sessions now for people who are not in a position to be able to afford to work with me as a copywriter. So it's a little bit like the analogy of give a person a a fish and they'll eat one decent meal, but teach them to fish and they'll eat well forever kind of thing. It's like, I can, I can teach people how to improve their copy so they can do it themselves. Yeah. Um, And, and this is the sort of thing that I'm always 
almost I feel as if I'm giving them permission to, to if you wouldn't say it, don't write it. Like, who actually sure. says we would like to apologize for any inconvenience cause? No, I just say no. sorry. You know, I, I'm such a firm believer in human language and being human in general. And again, a tangent. <laughs> no, I mean, I, when you talk I've, to me, Van, sorry. I, I've been hugely encouraged, Sarah. I think, I think, you know, you can't attribute it all to COVID, but definitely there was a sea change. If we're talking about LinkedIn, it's almost sure. like the platform, you know, there, there was a movement in, say, 2018, 2019, where mental health was starting to be more on the agenda of LinkedIn and people were starting to have those conversations. Oh. We were seeing that much more in the world of PR, for example. But it 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 was suddenly when the pandemic happened that it felt like platforms really took a much more of an authentic air. Yeah. And I would echo what you said about LinkedIn. Like, But the last couple of years, it's been a, it's been a joyful place to be on. I mean, I've mm-hmm. built nearly all of my business, all of my, my valuable contacts have been through LinkedIn. I think a lot of it because I've brought my authentic self to it. And as you were yeah, saying, sure. probably for 15 years, there was the professional PR self. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly that professional PR self merged with the real Ben, the one yeah. that's always really been there. Yeah. And now people are are buying from me. Yeah. Um, and that is and... the loveliest thing. Yes. That, that's 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 proper validation. That's not they're buying from this kind of persona that you've created and well done you for creating this persona. This is they're seeing seeing you and yeah. they're wanting to work with you. And that's gratifying. It it, and- it ties into him. I talk a lot in the in um survival skills for freelancers as you know about imposter syndrome and I've done so much training on imposter syndrome since webinars and talks and this kind of thing because it's something that everybody can relate to whether they admit to it or not. 87% of UK professionals in a survey admitted to feelings of imposter syndrome and the more I've talked about it through doing my training, the more I've realized that a big element of avoiding imposter syndrome is being yourself. Because the huge factor of imposter syndrome is that people fear they're going to be found out. But how can how can you be found out if you are being you? Yeah. There's there's less of a margin between the you that you're presenting, you know, the the, the closer you can get to actually being 100% real you, true you in your um, in your uh, interactions with your colleagues, your contacts, your clients, the less chance you have of experiencing imposter syndrome. I mean, I think a lot of that is kind of in your kind of traditional hierarchical kind of corporate structure. It's all based around titles. It's all based around power. And it's about kind of working your way yeah. up a ladder. When you, when you become freelance, certainly when you become a freelance consultant, as you and I are, You've kind of stripped that out because you're you're just you're just you providing a very specific service, as you say, as a partner. And so that power dynamic, I think, shifts quite radically Mm. with freelance life into an organization. That's Mm. been my experience. Anyway, the other thing that I'd kind of echo from what you're saying, from my experience is about being you and being authentic is for me, I had a very clear idea of the kind of people I wanted to work with, which was essentially nice people who are trying to do good in the world. It's yes, that simple. likewise. I, yeah. So that really helps me with the conversations I have, because if I'm very authentic and if I talk about whatever it may be, the challenges of parenting, anxiety, you know, mental health, things like this, people have got, a, a, I think, a fairly clear image of me from the start in terms of where I am with life, the mountains I've climbed, the journey I've been on, and the kind of character I am. And if that's not a character they want to work with or buy from, then great, because that eliminates a whole dynamic that I don't want Absolutely. to deal with. So I think I think one advice I would give for people who maybe are thinking about going freelance but are currently employed is there's a lot of benefits to, to being employed because under employment, you do have the safety net of learning what you like and specifically what you don't like so that when you do move into freelance life because I thought to go in freelance 15 years ago and I'm glad I didn't apart from dabbling in it because by the time I went into it I had a very very clear idea of how I didn't want to work not so much how I did want to work but definitely what I didn't want to and those and and that's been real guiding principle for me over the last two plus years not that I haven't fallen into many of the traps you're describing and not that I'm sure I won't continue to fall into those imposter syndrome being a big one but um you know it 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 pays to know I think who you are and what you want out of life Mm. um but but in in the book you talk about how you you know you're quite clear that freelance life isn't for everyone it's not this perfect 
perfect lifestyle that that suits all and and you've actually said in the book you know some people do need to be managed they need a clear list of priorities they need encouragement and incentive to achieve allocated tasks on time um what do you feel are the essential attributes to make it as a freelancer in today's quite uncertain world resilience (laughs) Uh, people have said and i think i mentioned this in the book as well actually people who've said throughout my freelance life I need to have a thick skin and I don't have a thick skin I identify as being a highly sensitive person which is actually a thing but I don't find that that holds me back I think it's important to realize that you shouldn't take rejection uh personally when it's professional that's again a harder thing to achieve when you are being you in business because everything mm-hmm. feels personal but um certainly things like being a self-starter so being self-motivated being disciplined driven having focus uh when you know particularly when you're working at home i usually go out and work um in my second office that's what i'm doing after we've had our chat today which is the lounge bar at my gym and i i find for so many freelancers if you can find a co-working space or a cafe or somewhere that you can work without the distractions of oh gosh the dishwasher needs to be um loaded or the washing needs to be hung um whatever it is that distracts you at home kids dogs um post for your neighbors whatever it is all those things are really important so the more you can be focused and uh driven but you also have to be prepared to be out there i have a very good friend who um had a change of career path um to become a personal trainer and she 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 stopped within six months she just decided self-employment wasn't for her because she's an excellent personal trainer but she's incredibly introverted and could not bear the fact that she had to put her head above the parapet to get her business known you have to be prepared to raise awareness of your business and the problems that you solve for your clients and who you solve those problems for you have to be prepared to um to go out there and be visible be seen talk about the problems you solve not in a salesy way not in a cringy way but certainly in a way that can feel outside your comfort zone and I find particularly in, say, a lot of copywriters are very introverted. I've come to the conclusion, I thought that I was, I grew up incredibly shy. I was always told, oh, she's very shy, she's very quiet. But when I started work, I started working in the corporate world in financial services and then did much like you. I ended up in uh, working in an agency and I had to be a certain way to 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 progress, as mm-hmm. you said. And, and I think I just masked um, kind of being naturally probably quite an introvert and grew to become very sociable. But only really recently, and it's actually only been since COVID, have I realized that when I put myself into a social situation, yes, I'm now comfortable in that situation. I'm very comfortable at the right networking events. I'm very comfortable talking to other people about what they offer, Um, probably more so than talking about what I offer, actually. But I think that's just as important and it's quite an underused skill. But when I get home, from giving a talk or running a workshop or whatever, I need to lie down in a darkened room for a couple of hours to recover because that's how I recharge. Self-awareness is a really important thing because there are plenty of traits that I say in the book aren't necessarily going to make your life especially easy as a freelancer but if you know what those traits are you have that awareness there's something that you could choose to work on to improve so self-development is really important being kind of aware that you need to always be learning you need to always be developing and improving and and this sort of thing so being aware of each of your what you might call a negative trait so for me I'm incredibly impatient I don't I'm only I have this, it's like a um, an anomaly. I'm a very keen bird watcher. And okay. when I go out into the forest with my binoculars, I can stand for just an endless amount of time waiting to see a particular bird. And my partner was laughing about it the other day because 
I always say, I'm so impatient. I'm such a just do it now person. I can't understand if something can be done in the next five minutes, just do it in the next five minutes. You know, why say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. But the good side of being an impatient person is that I get things done. I am that immediate person. I do make things happen. So whatever trait you have that you think may hold you back as a freelancer, think about what the flip side is, you know, see the trait as the dark side. What is the light side of that trait? Every negative has a positive. So can you kind of create something positive from that thing that you're concerned might hold you back? I think it's really only when you have perhaps a number of traits that you know you you can't get up and get going in the morning or you know and you know that that's perhaps a character trait rather mm. than behavior because we all go through phases where we're demotivated we don't want to go yeah. out in the morning mental health issues can cause that but if you're someone who just doesn't like to get up and get going you're someone who isn't good at setting I'm not good at setting goals I, I can't say that but someone who isn't good at kind of motivating yourself and having the inspiration to kind of come up with new ideas and try new ways of doing things experiment then it's only when you have a bunch of those traits that you may struggle to to make it as a freelancer yeah, and I think it's also about kind of knowing your natural rhythms, isn't it? And your and your body. So mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I spent 15 years doing nine to five. That never worked for me. I knew it never worked for me. I, I was always frustrated. I was always I was always at work tired. I was always exhausted by the time I got to the office at nine, not really feeling motivated and ready to go because of the the very structure of that morning. I've learned about myself, but I am someone who who before 10 a.m. isn't really you know, I'm I'm great for conversation, yeah. but I, my my attention span on on say a written task isn't there until mid morning. I am a night owl. I do my best copywriting seven seven p.m. onwards. I, you know, oh. I've I've structured my working day often around family, um, admin-y, marketing pieces in the morning, conversations mm-hmm. like we're having now, um, mm-hmm. and doing hard, deep concentration focused work in an afternoon or evening. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of thing which when you're working under for for an employer or if you're un, if you're not careful with certain boundaries as a freelancer or as you say for lots of mini employers and mm. um, that if you're not careful your natural ebbs and flows can be dictated by others and i think that's what i've learned as a freelancer is you have to know what works for you how you will produce your best work but also how you'll be happiest and um, for me for me happiness comes through knowing i've had good quality time with my family uh, uh, key pockets in the day and i've been present it comes from looking after my physical health and actually going out for a walk or going to the gym. Um, and it comes from actually turning my phone off in the evening sometimes. Mm. And but this is all stuff that sounds great in principle. But when you are when you're financially concerned, when business is lean, when you're going for a famine period, which is so part and parcel of freelance life. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very easy for these things to go out of a window. Mm. Um I could easily talk to you all day about freelance work, but I also want to come back to your new book, which is the brilliantly titled um, Little Book of Confusables. <laughs> I have both here with me, actually. Well, there you go. So do I. There you go, look. Oh, look, we uh, should do a screen grab at the end. <laughs> we will. Um, so so can you um, explain to our audience what Little Book of Confusables is all about and who it will benefit? Yeah, so um, so many people who have read it and loved it have told me that it will benefit anybody who ever writes anything. In fact, um, Leif Kendall, who is the director of Pro Copywriters, the professional body for copywriters, described it as um, a perfect book for anyone who reads, writes or speaks. So <laughs> I That's make a good that everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and so far, to my knowledge, not everyone has a copy. Um, so I would say certainly um, business owners, professionals who work with words, anybody who ever has to write blog posts for their business or social media content for their business, LinkedIn posts, emails, and want to look professional and want to avoid the stupid mistakes that even smart people make. So those are things like using the wrong version of bear. So bear with me. The number of times I've seen it spelled B-A-R-E with me, which literally means get naked. So it's those kinds of things. It is um, based on, I mean, it's gorgeous inside. I'm not sure if you use, I think you use the video, but typographically it's gorgeous. It's a lovely book to use. It is, it's stinky and it's quite chunky as well. So it's got um, 
almost 600 commonly confused words from the obvious ones, like the different versions of there and your and let's and um, principle, practice, license, all those words that can trip us up on a daily basis. And language professionals too, we have the blind spots. Everybody has the blind spots. I have so many people who've come to me and gone, oh my gosh, I bought this book just because I was intrigued because you're a fellow copywriter. I didn't think I was really going to need it, but I have dipped into it multiple times a day, every day since I've had it. And also when I first got it, I read it cover to cover and I never knew I'd been using this word wrong or I never knew that I had been writing off your own back where it was actually off your own bat. Um, So it contains things like doggy dog world and jester of goodwill and those kind of mishearings as well as things like libelous and slanderous acute and chronic poisonous and venomous so how often do we actually know the subtle but important differences between those words and we use them as interchangeable and they're actually not so it's a really fun guide it yes it's a book about language yes it's effectively a reference book about spellings but it's a really fun book. Some of the some of the examples are kind of thrown in there for for good measure. Like one of them, for example, I have taught uh, have trouble saying this. Taught torture taught to us, torturous, tortoise, and tortoro. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are a few kind of pop culture references thrown in there for good measure. But I love it. I mean, you mentioned this is my favorite. You mentioned it earlier, but so dog, dog eat dog. The phrase dog eat dog world means brutal, ruthless and competitive. It's commonly misheard as doggy dog. Alas, doggy dog world is not a thing. But if a canine brand hasn't seized the idea for their annual expo yet. I love it. Um, I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I, there, there, there are plenty of plenty in here that have been very helpful for me already as someone who's been writing for 15 years. And it's it's we were going to record this pre Christmas and I would yeah, as, a, as a perfect stocking filler. Um, you know, Christmas 2023 is not far away. Um, <laughs> still a perfect soccer filler, but just generally a brilliant book for anyone, you know, I think who has a love of language and it just kind of answers those commonly asked questions. Um, I'm curious, is there, are there any words that kind of when you were researching the book caught you by surprise? Oh, did you realise yeah. that you've been making some mistakes over yeah, the years? Yeah, loads. I mean, I still have to, I, I take my copy. I mean, this this copy is so well thumbed. It's it's a really scruffy one. This is an Amazon one. If anybody ever buys off me, they get a proper Litho printed version signed. Um, and they're kind of even nicer quality than this, but this is well thumbed. Because I take this with me because it's chunky and dinky. It fits in my laptop case. I take it with me so when I'm working at the gym I have it on my desk all the time it's quite a nice conversation starter if yeah. people say what do you do and I'm like well I wrote this <laughs> and then everybody flicks it and, uh, and they're like oh I'm gonna go and order a copy but yeah no there are loads I still have to look up um I can't think of an example off the top of my head rain uh, rain and rain you know when the queen died there was so much in the press people using the wrong spelling of the queen's reign mm. um you'd think they would have checked it first would you not probably, probably didn't help but it she died on a rainy day oh oh did she in fact mm. gosh no but i'm thinking okay. like r-e-i-n and r-e-i-g-n yeah. those are the things that actually i mean a lot of people i had an author who's written seven novels say i never knew there were two different versions of what was it discreet discreet okay yeah discreet as in you know um separate mm-hmm. and discreet as in right don't tell anyone kind of thing mm-hmm. um so yeah hoard and hoard gaff and gaff i mean it's there are so many in there but i mean that it's not uh it's not a comprehensive it's not as comprehensive a book as i would have liked because if it had been it would have been twice the thickness yeah as it is the pagination means i only make three pound 31 a copy if anybody's thinking about self-publishing think first about how much you actually make because don't write a book to get rich it's not gonna happen but I didn't do that with either of mine. I did. I, I wrote both of them to help people and to entertain people. I have been keeping a list. So um, show exclusive. I've been keeping a list since I was working on this and my son did the layout. So my designer friend set up the template. We came up with the idea for what we wanted to look at, look like. My, my designer friend came up with the grid and then my son taught himself in design. Fantastic. to work on it with me before he went off to uni to study English. Proud mum. Oh, um, that's lovely. Yeah, it is lovely. But um, but we got to the stage where I kept saying, oh, no, we've forgotten to include this versus this. And he said, mum, you're just going to have to draw the line because we're over 300 pages. I think it's 320 pages. It's 
quite a chunky book. I said, okay, right, I'm going to draw the line, but I'm going to keep a note on my phone just in case any more crop up. Well, that note is now at 300 plus additional confusables. So I can say say there will be a confusables two, and I might be spelling it (laughs) T-O-O. Excellent. That's exciting. That's brilliant. We'll put put in the the show notes today, you'll find all the links to to buy both of Sarah's books. Um, And also, if you are listening on the audio, we are on YouTube. Just search for uh, the hashtag Good Journeys Pod, and you'll be able to find Sarah Uh, see her lovely face and also see lots of examples of the book um, as we've been talking through today um just to just to round out here today Sarah I'd love to know kind of from your 20 plus years experience is there one key ingredient to creating great copy oh gosh Mm. oh gosh big question isn't it one key ingredient. Well, I, I always say when I'm doing um, my copy coaching sessions and I'm I'm doing um, training talks about copywriting, I always say, think about the four C's. So maybe I'll share my four C's instead of just one element, because I think it's a lot more than one element. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's really important that copy um, reflects your brand. And when we're talking about businesses like ours, then we are our brand. So it's really important for the copy to feel authentic to the person who is behind the brand. So it's all about human language for me. It's all about, there are so many, I actually have a tweet lined up for this morning. I I'm, For those who are listening, I'm getting out my phone. I'm going to find an image on my phone that I took a photo of. So One of the sinks in my gym is not working. There's a sign in the sink that says, member notice, this sink is currently not in use. We're working hard to get this back in working order as soon as possible. We apologize for the inconvenience caused. And I've just edited it. And I'm just putting it out as a tweet and just, um, it's a nine word tweet instead of that's 29 words. And I, I just think what they could have said instead was, we're sorry this sink isn't working. It'll be fixed soon. Yes. That's all you need to say. And it's much more human. It feels like it's been written by a person and not a robot. So Mm. for me, good copy should always be conversational because it's that's the way that we make a connection, a direct human connection with our reader. It should always be compelling slash convincing. So it's going to be something that is encouraging your reader to take action, to change their mind, to think differently, to maybe book your course or hire your services or buy your product. It's going to be clear and it's going to be concise. So the fewer words you use, make sure that when you've written anything, go back, free tips, Go back over what you've written and make sure that every word in that sentence is justifying its place there because there are usually so many filler words that just get in the way of your message. It's really important to just acknowledge that your reader is super busy. We're all busy. We're all subjected to, I read the other day, between four and 10,000 marketing messages a day. Don't actually know how that's possible, but Mm. that is the statistic that this um, study came up with. So have respect for the fact that your reader is busy, that there, there are dozens of competing messages that you are up against. And for your business to get noticed, you have to cut through that chatter, that mm-hmm. communication chatter. And it's really important to just think about making sure that your message gets to the point. Um, when I first wrote Survival Skills, one of the Amazon reviews said, this is one of my favorites. So this is why I've memorized it. Um, It's refreshing to read a book by a proper copywriter who knows how to get the message from the page to the brain with the least resistance. And for me, that's what it's all about. It's about getting your message, getting your words from the screen or the page to your reader's brain with the least resistance. Yeah, and for for me as a writer, it's always about you know, is this something I'd want to read? Does this grab me? If if I'm not interested, they won't be interested. No, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what subject matter you're talking about. Like you, I've I've written about everything over the years, but yeah. I, it's always about trying to find the personality, the human angle, the interesting bit, the relatability. If that's yeah. not there, I'm not interested. My reader won't be. Um, I would love to know um a couple of things actually before we round out firstly you know there's a real art form and a skill and a nuance to good copywriting do you have any concerns about kind of the power that ai is going to have on the writing profession yeah Mm. of course 
Yeah, I think that the important thing to kind of acknowledge, I mean, chat GPT seems to be rocking everybody's world right now. Uh Um, But I think ultimately AI is, is a tool and a tool in the wrong person's hands is still not going to produce a good job. I'm not sure what's going to happen, really, but I'd like to think there'll still be a place in the world for copywriters. Um, you and I are both out of a job, if not. But yeah, yeah of course, it's a, it's a concern. It's a worry. I'm naturally a born worrier, so it's just another thing for me to worry about. <laughs> but the thing is, an AI can never provide your clients with the human understanding, the relationship, the support, the ongoing the ongoing kind of fun of of working with someone who really gets your business and really cares about your business because I think for me a lot of my clients say I did a survey actually really long ago maybe even eight ten years ago I did a survey with some of my clients who I'd worked with for a really long time and I thought um I'll ask them to come up with five words what are the five words that you would use to describe working with me and I thought it was going to be she's great at grammar she knows lots of words I thought it was going to be more kind of practical things and it was all she just gets my business it's like she can pull the words out of my head and make me sound like me but better and and she's fun to work with and it was all these kinds of things that were just unexpected and the way I see it, an AI is never going to be able to provide any of those things. No, because it's come down to partnership, as, as we said early on, isn't it? It's about really understanding who you're working with, what they're looking to do, the the people they are, and 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 kind of playing that forward. And I think AI, yes, AI will no doubt, as we're seeing, has the ability and has a place to to cover a lot of gaps, but it doesn't allow for this kind of nuance and this kind of professional communication that I, I think can only ever come through human to human interaction yeah. he mm-hmm. says and hopes otherwise as you say yeah, maybe <laughs> both need to find other employment yeah and then, the, the, the last thing I'd, I'd love i'd love to ask is to finish up with is you know we've touched on this already but there'll be a lot of listeners today who will have tuned in because you know they're they're considering going solo and pursuing a freelance career themselves i mean it can be a massively daunting and terrifying step but as we've covered today it can also be a wonderful step to take are there a couple of kind of takeaway bits of advice you can offer in terms of kickstarting a freelancing journey in the right way? Yeah, I think every single one of the 60 plus podcasts I've done, they always ask that question at the end. And every time I have to say something completely different, because otherwise every podcast is going to sound the same. I mean, the 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 really obvious thing, and I'm kind of not even really being tongue in cheek, is spend your first 15 pounds on a copy of Survival Skills for Freelancers, because it's got not just 20 years of my freelance experience that you can learn from, but it also contains quotes, case studies, and advice from 100 other freelancers who I interviewed in the process of writing the book. So it's crowdsourced an awful lot of real real world, heart on your sleeve. This is the bones of what you really need to know. So I I, I genuinely would say start with that. But in terms of kind of awareness, I think it's important to know that it's not enough just to be good at your chosen skill. So your secret source or your whatever people call it these days, your, uh, my I call it my superpower. So editing and copywriting are my superpower, but it that's not enough. There's so much other stuff around being a freelancer, being your own boss. And this is all the stuff that I don't think people, I think people overlook. They think, okay, well, I'm a great graphic designer and therefore I will be a great graphic designer freelancer. Not the case. There's so much business side. And these are the eight myths that I bust in survival skills for freelancers. It is the things like, trying to do everything yourself for your business is the fast train to burnout. It really is. So when you first start out, you'll realize just how much of your week is spent doing admin accounts, marketing your business, social media management, finding clients, emailing clients, project management, all those things. You can really easily get to the end of the week and feel like perhaps you've only spent 20, 30% of your time doing this special yeah. skill and also and- I, I just add to that a really a really key part of that which i think is can be easily looked over if you're not careful is nurturing the 
client relationships that you've worked so hard to gain because you're spending so much time always looking five steps ahead and doing your admin and doing your marketing remembering that actually you really need to put a lot of time into the work that you've won and making sure that they're happy and making sure that they feel like they're getting added value from you yeah yeah and so that that is a really important thing um in terms of one thing i would say back yourself with some savings because it can be a really long time before you ever get paid for a job so um say worst case scenario your first day of freelancing you're putting the feelers out there you're marketing you're telling people what you're doing you're raising awareness of your business you might secure your first client if you're dead lucky within the first month um then you have to do the work which might take a month and then you have to invoice which might take another month and then another month to get paid so it can take a really long time i would recommend charging 50 percent deposit up front that's just a very specific very small tip but if you do it from day one it's much easier to get used to i didn't do it until about year 15 and i never once had a client object not mm-hmm. once yeah. um so yeah i would definitely get yourself some savings so that you've got some money to kind of dip into um to invest in your business to make sure that you've got the right kit and just to sort of support you through the lean times because the the, the lean times are kind of inevitable just keep marketing yeah. keep putting the word out there keep showing up and being visible and if there's and any um payment's a good one because if there's any organizations listening who listening who are thinking about working with freelancers um i'm sure sarah would agree with this my top bit of advice would be pay your freelancers on time because if you pay them on time they'll be really good to you and mm. you know I, I it still it still shocks me i mean i've I've been very lucky broad broadly on that basis but it still shocks me how lax people can be at paying invoices mm. um and i've heard it time and time again from so many people deposits up front 50 percent up front um just just again to give you that financial security to give real focused time um to your clients um but i would just yeah i would i'd reinforce kind of what sarah said i mean survivor skills for freelancers there's it's such a great book but what i think makes it so great is it's it's a real book that's kind of brought together and seems to have really struck a chord with the freelance community yeah um so it's many sold, people ben, in 28 countries it's amazing it's such an amazing countries. achievement i hope i hope you're really proud of that yeah i absolutely yeah. am yeah i think you know it's 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 a book that's you know it's just full of energy it's full of really practical quick takeaways very accessible i saw through it in about two days which you know with two young kids around i think is a testament to how that's good it. it is and you know it's very very well thumbed and will be living on my desk for years to come as a reminder that every time i get a bit caught up and burnt out to just go back to to the basics so last thing really sarah uh, first well firstly to say thank you so much for coming on today and for your enthusiasm and for all of the good you're doing for um the freelance community how can our audience keep in touch with you what are your websites and your socials um best thing to do i used to give out this huge list of all the different socials um but probably the best thing to do is to go to sarah townsend editorial.co.uk um there you'll find links to my social media you'll find links to where to buy my books you can find out more about my copy coaching my copywriting and that's probably that's probably everything well, brilliant. Well, look, I, I'm so excited to, it's, it's been wonderful getting to know you for the last couple of years. I'm so excited to see where your journey takes you next. Thank you. And um, thank you for being such a such a great guest today. Any any last words, Sarah? No, it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. Well, thanks to my thanks to my brilliant guest, Sarah Townsend, for today's wonderful conversation. Um, if you've liked today's show, then please do share it with others who might benefit from the conversation too. Um, and don't forget to let us know what you think using the hashtag GoodJourneysPod on all social media. Um, all past episodes of the show are available now via our website, which is secondmountaincoms.co.uk forward slash podcast. And of course, we're on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Music, and pretty much anywhere else you turn to for your podcasting fix. So that's it. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the the Good Journeys with Second Mountain podcast. So until next time, let's keep climbing together and I'll see you all again soon.